Good evening, everybody. Thanks for coming out tonight. The weather is so much better. Beautiful. For now, Missouri, for now. If you've been with us at all this year, you know that we've been walking through the life of Jesus um, very slowly. We're taking, uh, the ver we're taking the scenic route here on the life of Jesus. The walking tour. Yes, this is a walking tour. Much like, shameless plug, the Easter walk That's right. is a walking tour. Tonight we're going to be in John again in chapter 4. We've been in John for a while. I promised last week that we're going to be in the other Gospels as well, but we've kind of camped in John for a little bit. Um, and like we said last week, if you weren't here, the book of John is about pointing people that Jesus' belief and faith in Jesus, that he is the Son of God, the resurrected Savior, that is the book of John. And so we're going to be in chapter 4. And this is a story that might be familiar to a lot of people, and I hope that tonight you hear or see something new in this story that you didn't hear before. But this is where Jesus heals a government official's son. So if you have a Bible, we'll be in John chapter 4. This is starting in verse 46. Uh, Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick in Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judah, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, and your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed, and while he was still on his way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living when he acquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, Yesterday at one in the afternoon the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judah to Galilee. Um, so who was this nobleman? Do you, any, any guesses, any thoughts? So uh, the, the guesses that uh, I read was that he possibly was in uh, Herod's court and the such. Because all it says is he was a nobleman. Right. So the Bible doesn't see it as important enough, if you will, to spell it out. I mean, there's some things in the Bible that just completely comes right out and says, da 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 doesn't do this. Herodian family is kind of brackets Jesus' life. You know, Herod the Great was the one that uh, killed all the children, had all the children killed. Um, and Ramah, was it, or was that, I'm sorry, the town that they were in when, G, when the three wise men went through. In any event, I'm getting sidetracked there. So Herodias the Great was, he was Herodias the Great. Yeah, because I don't know how to pronounce <laughs> it either. <laughs> if you don't, the rest of us are doomed, Gavin. I've always called it Rama. Okay, good. Ramen noodles, <laughs> ramen work. noodles, you know. That'll work. Um, but then his his son uh, Antip- Antipas, mm-hmm. um, he's the one who uh, married his brother's wife right. and took John the Baptist's head, um, and he could have been associ- an associate of that Herod, because um, that's the time period we're in. And also uh, of note is that he came into Cana of Galilee where he'd done the first miracle. Maybe this official was at that wedding right. who knew Could Jesus. I'm always curious how he knew about Jesus. Right. And Jesus' fame goes from top echelon to, to the poorest of poor. And we don't know whether he's Jew or Gentile. So, and here's my thought with the question. I don't know how much, um, quote, nobility you can be an official from, but it did seem like it would be Herod. Um, and what was Jesus' relationship with 
you know, the Her the Herods, if you will. But with this Herod, it was likely could have been the Herod that took John the Baptist's head. Right. Um, so if he's serving under somebody that the Herods in line of, well, let's try to find this Jesus. And if we can't find him, let's just kill all the babies uh, that were born in that area and in that time. Um, you have to assume they're evil men. Uh, you have to assume anything oh, that's, that's I mean, related to John the Baptist, the coming of Messiah, the king, anything related to that. You got to imagine that they're, they're not for Jesus or his message. So right. you've got an official, possibly from, from this, this court, court, coming to Jesus for a miracle. Of course, you know, I, I don't know. Um, you know, th there is a lot uh, about that custom and such that, that I'm still, you know, pretty well, uh, what would the word be, uh, just ignorant about it. So, you know, at, at, at what level, uh, do, you know, just that he's a part of his court, what, what does that mean? Yeah. You know, does that mean they're buds? Does that mean he's a servant? You know, I, I don't know. He's connected somehow. Yeah, he's connected. They mentioned so, that he's, he's a, a nobleman. That's they, right. They, so, they, so they he's call of high, him a nobleman. He's so, of high standing so to some level. So he's an important level. guy. They, they, don't, they say enough to say he's important, it feels right. like. So you're, are you wondering, if you will, or angling that maybe God had, or Jesus had to overcome maybe a little bit of angst that I'm helping out when I hear it? Yeah, a little guys. bit. I mean, I'm not going to, I'll be honest. I was just kind of, and, and this man had to go out of his comfort zone like, um, I know that we're not really for these uh, people. John the Baptist Jesus people, but I mean... If he can heal my son, I'm going to go You think they ahead. called him Jesus Freaks back then? What, what, yeah. what would happen to me if my boss found out that I was going to Jesus? And right. that's the other part, yeah. About, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. heaven that I get found out. But I think that shows in this appearance desperation. I mean, oh, wouldn't no you do anything? Yeah. I, anything. And I guess I had the thought in this, like, is there is there any prayer you wouldn't assault the kingdom of heaven with for your children? Would you not just pray relentlessly for anything? Amen. And it just shows appearance desperation, and Jesus helps him. Amen. He does. And, you know, uh, it seems like that Jesus is correcting him here. Uh, but again, the people that I read after, they really didn't buy into that. They didn't see this as a rebuke from Jesus as much as he was explaining that this is the common thing that people do if they're not careful. They want to see a show. Signs and wonders. He says, yeah. unless you people see mm -hmm. signs and wonders, you'll never believe. That was Jesus' reply. And then the guy doesn't give up there. He's like, sir, come come right. see my child before he dies. He, right. again, makes his plea. And, and what does Jesus do? He just says the word. He yeah. says the word. And uh, I, I did a quick read, and I, I'm not sure if all this connects, but the the centurion that came to him and said, Lord, don't even bother to go to my house. He understood authority. Word. So I don't know if this guy came first or the centurion came first. I but think this guy came first. Going both to Capernaum. So the, the right. Roman centurion was from Capernaum. This guy's son is in Capernaum. Makes well, you wonder if they didn't know each other. Yeah, yeah. And maybe, so, maybe that guy knew from this situation that you all you got to do is say the word. And it's done. You're a man and, of authority. And there's a good question. I've wondered this. Why Jesus, in some instances, touched people to heal them? Um, in the one instance, the woman just touched his garment and she was healed. And sometimes he just healed from a distance. He just... Um, sometimes he's doing an object lesson, I think. Well, well I, I think the answer to that is because is he wanted to show he could do it any way he wanted to. He, he, he was not... What's the word? Limited. He wasn't, Limited. He wasn't confined by space or by time or Technique, by distance. Right. or Style. <laughs> and and let, let me hit on this real quick because I actually was working on this today. 
This is a pet peeve of mine, and if you will, a sugar stick of mine that I like to hit on. <clears throat> there, you will find some people, and there, I don't know if you're familiar with the Word of Faith movement, and there's a lot of great people in the Word of Faith movement, but there's also a lot of error in the Word of Faith movement, and one of those errors is uh, God is not limited by His Word. And so what they, they, they've come up with that as an answer to, well, I don't, I don't believe God would do that because he states clearly in his word, da, 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 and their response is, well, but God's not limited by his word. And my response to that is, God's word is no limitation to him. He's all God within the limitations of his word. Amen. Does that make sense? Amen. And I think that, that we have to, you know. It's almost like saying God's not limited to truth. Exactly, very close to saying exa that. It's exactly what they're saying. And they, may, they wouldn't say that with their lips, but, but they, in my opinion, that's Pretty what close. they're saying. Yeah, uh, Because, you know, you get, it, you get into this trap of more, more, more. I want more. Well, if I get to go to heaven because I say to, said a simple prayer to a loving God, what more do I need? You know, what, what more do I need? At some point, you need to be satisfied. There is more. Don't get me wrong. There is. There is. <laughs> but at some point, you need to be satisfied, you know. Um, and so anyway, I, we digress. But uh, one thing that I read that was interesting to me today was that there were two things that this fellow had wrong. He had it wrong that he thought that Jesus had to go physically and touch his child. And that if he thought that the, if the boy died, it was too late. He had those two things wrong. Because we know from Lazarus, it, it ain't over. It ain't over till Jesus says it's over. Uh, so I thought that was interesting. That's from J. Vernon McGee. Uh, I had who was it? Ben Martin. Ben Martin at the track meet yesterday. Brother Ben, you ever heard of J. Vernon McGee? <laughs> I said, my friend. Yeah. He said, yeah, that's it. 6 a.m. every Can morning. Yeah, 6 a.m. He's on uh, 91. I just tell you, my friend. And Ben Martin, if you don't know Ben, <laughs> wonderful, wonderful young man. And Ben says, that guy is so country. Ah, he's dry. <laughs> and then I said, you realize he he's pastored from the largest church in California <laughs> yeah, I was about back to say, he's in from the day. California, and he looked though. at me and said, no. <laughs> yes, he pastored in California, uh, Church of the Open Door. And, and man, I'm telling you. He, the Lord used him to bring oh, a amen. lot of people. Talk about Jesus not too. confined by space or time. That guy's been dead for a long time, and he's still years. on the radio, He'd the been internet. Dead for 20 years <laughs> preaching every day. Through the Bible. Uh, my friend. friend. So was this his first healing miracle that we have it's recorded? It's my understanding. It's my understanding. Same here. And he yeah, didn't even touch great. anybody. He just mm. spoke the words. And that's something. Uh, my next question is, why didn't Jesus go with him? Again, to prove a point, you think, just to say? You know, I don't have an answer to that. Uh, other than what you just said, uh, it, it could be that, that he, you know, he, he was going to, he was determined to heal in so many <coughs> different Here's ways. thought. What if he had showed up at the of government official's house? Uh -huh. Could have got him in trouble. There you go. Yeah, if trust me, boss. buddy, this is going to be best for you. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll heal him from a distance. <laughs> Take Amen. my word for this. So if you had to say what is the overall theme of this passage what would you say it is why is this little piece included trust me trust me trust me with your children trust me with the healing uh, trust me with my way to do it uh, tr trust me that that you don't have to see a sign you know uh and and 
you know, we're, we're bad about that as Amer- <coughs> Americans. We, we want, <coughs> sorry, we want to see a show. Mm-hmm. And, and that's another thing about the Word of Faith movement that, man, you go to a church like that, and I mean, it's hollering <coughs> and all that and healing, and it, it's a show. But, you know, th- th- there's a trap in that, too. You know, uh, if you're not careful, you have to outdo last Sunday. And again, sooner or later, contentment has to take over. So I actually, uh, and this goes back to when we were studying um, when Jesus was tempted. And one of the things I had read was Satan can be very sensational. And don't let sensationalism mistake spirituality. And we are absolutely in a culture of over-entertainment. We want to be entertained. Uh, I always love... I'll just a little tidbit. I love the movie Gladiator. I love it. It is one of my favorite all-time movie. And you know, he throws up his swords, and he's like, "Are you not entertained?" And I was like, "That is America. America. Are you not entertained?" It's like what? And 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 I just not to not to hmm, get too far off track here, but I think even in churches, we have to be too heavily entertained, and don't let sensationalism mistake true spirituality. Um, and that Satan loves that, like, well, I'll just make things look a little sensational, and, and people will really think this is super spiritual. Uh, I, I believe it's a trap, and maybe I'm just too um, J. Vernon McGee, too country, <laughs> too dry, but uh, I think I think that is um, a, a slippery slope. It can be. There's no, there's no doubt. Um, it's not about the show. <clears throat> what would you say the theme is? Do you agree with Ben? So, so yes, and, and this is... Uh, Another example of Jesus cutting across all socioeconomic, uh, pe- all peoples, all people of power, people of poverty, um, and, and almost as if he's breathing. I mean, it's just like he's breathing to minister to heal. Um, yeah, as far as the takeaway from it, this is kind of the hallmark of his ministry is healing people, making them whole, and that's what the word uh, means, he, make, um, his son was made whole is what the word translated means. But uh, this is the beginning and probably the first of his hallmark of his ministry in uh, his three years of ministry. One thing, too, <clears throat> the scripture consistently says that he didn't do certain things because it wasn't his, his time, time yet. Yeah. So it's possible that, yes, he could have got the nobleman in trouble, but it's also possible that it would have caused a stir bigger crowd, and it just wasn't time for that. Capernaum was a government town. Yeah, yeah. back in uh, the beginning of chapter 4, before he, the woman at the well in Samaria, it says, now Jesus, chapter 4, verse 1, now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and uh, baptizing more disciples than John, Um, and then it says, so he left and Judah and went to Galilee. Like, he was already like, oh, the heat's kind of on, it's not quite time, let's just go ahead and bail out of this town and uh, get to ministering. I took this as very similar to what you said, Ben, was believing. It's belief. Um, he believed Jesus could heal, so he went to him, obviously. Like, that was the first step. Like, he believed that Jesus could do something no one else could for his son. Uh, so step one, he believed and went to him. Step two, and then after he comes home and they finds out his son has been healed, indeed, at the exact hour when Jesus said he was healed, and then it says here again, so he and his whole household believed. <coughs> so he and his whole household believed. But he already believed once. Right. So he believed he could heal his son. And, but it says here again, he and his whole household believed. Now what did they believe in? 
Well, so uh, I, I think w one question I have is that did possibly two miracles happen here? Did the miracle that his son was healed and the miracle that the father believed, meaning that Jesus gave him the ability to believe? Because, I mean, now we all know what it is to make a, our mind up. We, we all know what it is. You know, I preach it almost every Sunday. Choose. Choose to do the right thing. But we also know that there's a supernatural event that has to take place there also. Because there is no good thing in our flesh. There is no ability within our flesh to do the right thing. Anytime you and I do the right thing, it's because God stepped in and allowed us to do it. <clears throat> we just have to give our step of obedience, if you will, our step of faith. And so here's a guy that he has been begging Jesus now, and it doesn't tell us how long, come with me. And Jesus says, nope. I've already healed him. So now he's got a choice to make. Okay. And, and I think at that exact point that he says, okay, Jesus gave him. And I mean, in my humble opinion, it, it overwhelmed him. Oh, my gosh. He's healed. He's healed. So now all he wants to do is get back. Now, think about this. It's dangerous in this area to travel at night. At night, yeah. And he doesn't. It says the next day. He runs in, and his servants didn't travel at night either. They waited till the next day, and they meet each other on the road. He had such peace that he could go to sleep knowing that his son was healed. In my humble opinion, that might have been a miracle too. I, I thought the same thing. Uh, we, we today look for the miracle of a changed heart, a tr transformed life, and that's not mentioned here. I th I, that struck me as this on the, the last verse of this chapter. It says, this, this is, again, the second miracle that Jesus did doesn't include those, those other miracles. I was thinking the same thing. His whole family was transformed uh, by an encounter with Christ. That, to us, is a miracle. A changed yeah. heart is a miracle. So he believed that Jesus was a healer. Many people believed he was a healer. Nobody denied that he could heal and he no could perform miracles. Like nobody this. in that day and any anything you can find uh, biblically, or nobody denied he was a healer. So he probably believed he was a healer, and then he believed he was the Messiah. Well, we haven't dropped this name yet today. John MacArthur believes that <laughs> Jesus healed every known illness to man during that time. That there was not a single disease that was known at that time that Jesus did w not heal. Once you've done well, death, haven't you done them all? Yeah, <laughs> well, done and all. it says the very last, and I mean, like, since we've been camping out in John, and I won't apologize for that, but... In the very, very last verse in the book of John, he said, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Isn't that some? I think we we're just getting there. the high points. We're yeah. some of the I high know, points. I know, yeah. Anyway. So uh, a lot of DVDs to watch in heaven. That's right. All right, so we'll take a break. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, I didn't have it. I'm just saying until I got here and saw your face, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> SPF 30, at least. That's all I'm going to say about that. Are you gardening? <laughs> Was you gardening? I had to pour a pad for my new dog kennel uh, today. Gotcha. So that everybody that comes through the Easter Walk doesn't smell dog poo <laughs> at the MC. We that's, are so grateful for that. That's, that's the goal, man. Thank you from the bottom of our heart. Every time Tim Davis asks me that, because he asked all the time, your face is red. Ah, my blood pressure's up. It's all right. <laughs> Do you have an I'm just saying? I do. Uh, so this is uh, March Madness related. I'm still alive in my bracket as far as the Final Four, other than it's pretty rough. Uh, 
I, I've got all Final Four still alive, but all everybody oh, else is, has lost. I'm doing better than you. Are I'm you doing better rookie. than me? Mm -hmm. No, all of no my losses are, at all? All of my brackets are still alive. Well, well I'm, I'm just saying we do a bracket every year. Everybody in the family fills one out, and whoever wins gets to go uh, to pick the restaurant, and we go out to eat. And Sadie has won before, and she was three. So, I mean, I'm just saying it really <laughs> takes no skill at all. Uh, and I think there's only one bracket still alive in the that's world. That's perfect, yeah. It's perfect. That's perfect, yeah, I saw that the, the first time ever. Made that <laughs> yeah, yeah, just randomly picking. I, I was outside pumping gas on the way home from work today and thought, was standing outside the car and saying, man, it doesn't hurt to stand outside the car. I know. Isn't that the I, truth? It feels good to stand still outside. Still pretty crisp right? in the morning. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. But, and that, which is why I waited till the day to pour the pad. But, yeah, uh, my two older children picked this week to go camping. And Molly sent a text to Dawn today. <laughs> it's cold out here. <laughs> but today was pretty nice. As my well, face. She is wilderness yeah, qualified. It's like, like stood Benjamin in front of the sun, apparently. Molly both are wilderness qualified in my book. You better Ooh. believe it. I'm not. And I don't care. I've died to that. Uh, so our second topic, and we tried to sneak it in last week and we ran out of time, is um, raising a modern day knight. Ben, this was your baby, so I'm going to let you set this up. And this will probably take the rest of the time. Okay. Uh, because I, I want you guys to speak, but I got a lot to share. So first of all, I'll, I'll share my story with raising a modern day knight. My brother, uh, 17 years ago, passed away. Two years previous to his passing, he, it came to everybody's uh, awareness that he had liver issues. He had cirrhosis of the liver, never had drank a drop, drop of liquor. But Tony was uh, one of 5% of all Americans that are overweight, has what's called NASH. Mm -hmm. And it's non-alcoholic. The S word stands Steer. for fatty liver hepatitis. And so his body turns carbohydrates into alcohol mm -hmm. and pickled his liver. And so he was dying. And uh, so he came up here because uh, Barnes is the regional liver place of these three states in this area. So that meant my brother was coming within an hour of me, you know, to, to get checked and all that jazz. So, so I, when he had a doctor's appointment, which meant about, you know, three hours waiting for the doctor to see him, I would go and visit with him. On one of these visits, uh, he's reading this book. I'm like, what's that? And he said, man, this is a good book. I said, give it to me. <laughs> and I, I looked at it for the rest of the time. And it was Raising a Modern Day Night by Robert Lewis. This book gives a definition for manhood I had never, ever heard before. A code of conduct, which is the word of God, essentially. And then a ceremony and ceremonies to spike what you're trying to teach your child. So... And, he, and he, I said, so are you going to do this with Brian? And he said, man, I hope to. And Brian's probably 15, 16 at this point, maybe 14. And uh, you got to understand that Brian was my first uncle opportunity. So I, I just bought in with, with Brian. I would travel seven hours to watch a baseball game with Brian. Uh, so anyway, I was thrilled. I was thrilled with that. Well, and at this point, we've just started basically pastoring here and I wanted my dads to, to get the use of this and I had a boy on the ground at this point and so I wanted to utilize it. So we started pursuing it. <clears throat> Two years later, Tony dies. And I asked Vicki after his death, I said, so, so what, 
what happens with the raising of modern-day night? Because he had already set several things in play. And at this point now, Brian is graduating. He passed in June, so he's going to graduate that following uh, May. And I said, I'll do it. And so I got his pastor involved. I got his all the guys that Tony was close to involved. And long story short, we met at his pastor's farm in uh, Valonia, Arkansas. And I had bought Brian a $300 fishing reel and rod because part of the ceremony was you give a significant gift to memorialize, if you will, this whole passage of manhood. And each one of us, we ate steak and potatoes and we talked about what it meant to be a man for each of us. It's and so in the book, he stresses the community of men, is that you, in, you involve the other, you know, grandpas, pastors, youth pastors, Sunday school teachers. You involve any and every godly man that you can to help you raise your son in the nurture and admonition of God's word. So uh, that's my story. And, and then Robert's story, which is the guy that wrote the book, he was raised by an absentee father. He's got one picture of his dad, and that picture is of the three boys strapping, huge boys. Robert went to U of A on scholarship for football. So these three massive guys, and dad is in the shadows, literally in the shadows of a tree behind these three boys. And he said, that picture sums up my dad's influence on us. He was an alcoholic and just other issues. Now, sounds like we're putting this guy down. No, we're not. We're saying, though, that that, you know, that was a struggle to raise up. They didn't know what manhood meant. So they started chasing what manhood meant. Does it, you know, is it in a bottle? Is it with a girl? You know, is it in a hotel room? Is it in a needle? Where's manhood? You know, is it in a career? Is it in fame? Is it in power? Where's manhood? And so, you know, in this book, Robert makes the point that America does not have a functional definition of manhood. So all we're left to do, and you talk about young men adrift, that's where we're at in America. They, they figure it out. So for some, it's alcohol. For some, it's a woman. For some, it's drugs. For some, it's a career. For some, it's power, whatever the case may be. And that's why it's so important that godly men get back to telling their boys what manhood is. So, what's the definition? A real man rejects passivity, accepts responsibility, leads courageously, and expects the greater reward. And that's based on the first Adam and the second Adam. And this is all in the book. The first Adam, of course, is Adam and Eve. Adam embraced passivity. He embraced it. Go ahead, hon. Do what you want to do. And that a was mistake not that men have continued to make for the for rest of our, Yeah, that's yeah. right. It, it, from, from creation, men, if we're not careful, we're passive. We catch it. You know, it's caught, not taught. That's right. So. Oh, no doubt. Oh, yeah, so we're trained well. <laughs> <laughs> we're trained well. Uh, he rejected responsibility. The woman gave me to eat. This woman that you made yeah, for me. Yeah, this one you, that you made, God, <laughs> by the way. 
Thanks for that, nothing. <laughs> One could argue that if Adam was doing what he was supposed to be doing, which is watching after his wife, <clears throat> that hey, that's whole just like a woman to bring that up. would not have happened. I'm just, I'm just saying. <laughs> you are totally, totally right. Um, he was given uh, dominion over the world, and that dominion meant defending it and Dominion um, over the snake itself. Just correct. Smash so its he, head. All of his, smash its head. He left gently his, uh, knocked the apple out of her hands. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Baby, what are you doing? Yeah, so, so that dominion he abdicated. He abdicated. You better believe it. He was passive. Uh, he did not lead courageously. Uh, you know, his, son, his oldest son kills his younger son. Mm -hmm. He did not expect the greater reward. So that's the first Adam. Second Adam, Jesus, of course, completely rejected passivity, embraced responsibility. Uh, most, Robert, I think, points to the uh, wilderness test that we've already talked about, that that was where he embraced or rejected passivity. Uh, he, he, he stood the test. He went through what he had to go through. Then he absolutely embraced responsibility. He took the cross all the way to completion. And stood up to everyone, everyone, everything they said. The, the, the tabernacle, you know, cleaning out. Cleaning out the mean, he, he, he absolutely embraced responsibility. And then uh, led courageously, uh, expected the greater reward. So, uh, I mean, how many times did, did Jesus say, I am only here to do my Father's work mm -hmm. because I know I'm going to be rewarded for that. And so uh, once you teach the definition, then comes the code of conduct, which, of course, is discipleships, the word of God, and then uh, the ceremonies. So Robert points out, and it's been a while since I've read. I've heard, Jim, that you've read the book recently. You want to correct me on anything, please do. All right. I, I will say this, that uh, the ceremonies are imperative. So at 13 years of age, they encourage you, Robert encourages you to hold your first ceremony. And he's already memorized the a definition and you've started him on discipleship code of conduct but at this first ceremony you're going to bring the community of men and you're going to do something you're going to give him a nice gift of some sort to encourage him in this challenge if you will to become a man so he gives several uh, possibilities he shares what other men within his community of men has done with their you know young men and such one of them was really neat one of them they went to his cabin, and they ate steak and potato. That's a, a running theme. And then uh, they went out in the dark, and they gave him a flashlight. And they said, son, you go down that path, and you're going to learn something about manhood. All you got is that flashlight. Oh, God. Yeah. And, I mean, it was, it's pitch black dark. It's somewhere in Arkansas. Which, that's scary enough. I was about to say, yikes. I mean, I, in the woods. if Sasquatch lives, it's in Arkansas. <laughs> All right. So he goes, this boy, this 13-year-old boy, goes down this dark path. This is sketchy parenting. I'm just going to say. <laughs> but go ahead. To a river. And at the river is his grandpa. And his grandpa tells him what manhood has meant to him. And how he became a man, so on and so forth. And now he says, son, get in this canoe and go across the river. And he does. And he goes across the river. And across the river is his, uh, his other grandpa. So now his mom's, his mom's dad. And he tells him, you know, his story. So everywhere this kid goes, he's meeting someone. And they walk with him this path. And when he gets back to the cabin, he says, now, son, did you use that flashlight? I sure did. 
Well, that flashlight is a $200 flashlight. It's the best flashlight known to man at this time. And he said, that's yours. And that flashlight represents God's word. It will get you through the dark times in your life. It's just good stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. And so then it, uh, either the graduation of college or marriage, whichever one comes first, you confer upon that young man the title of manhood. It's good stuff. The making of a knight also. So the start yes. is a page, yes. and then uh, the next level of training in knighthood, and then yeah. f follows the, the knighthood of He uses knighting. that motif. <clears throat> Throughout the book. And the other challenge, uh, the challenge with manhood in my mind, of course, my dad was just a typical American guy. I'm not uh, criticizing is, but as a young man, you know, growing up, my question was, am I a man? Am I a man yet? Am I, when am, when am I a man? Yeah. So, um, and now I'm so tired of it. Now I'm looking for a sucker to put it, put that mantle on to, you know, <laughs> looking for a young guy that's that got, got a letter. Are you a man yet? <laughs> Lord help. I guess I should have had this. <laughs> but but the question is, when are you when do you, when should you consider yourself a man? There there is real value and real importance to having that definition title laid on you by another man who's farther down the road than you are, and you begin to take up the the responsibility of being a godly man and fulfilling that definition that, that he gives. And let me say this to the dads and, and, and wives out there. If your man, whether it's your husband or, or your sons or your brothers or your friends, if they did not have that strong father figure and they're knocking it out of the park, they're working, which in this day and age, that's Amen. huge. They're paying bills. They're, they're bringing up, their yeah. family to church. You need to tell them. Don't you ever wonder about Amen. that? You're a man. Because a real man rejects passivity, accepts responsibility. You're doing all that. You're knocking it out of the park. I'm, I, have, I have seen grown men cry when I tell them that. I, I have. They need to hear it. They need to yeah. hear if it. If there's anything I've learned, and I will shamelessly plug our small group class on Sunday mornings. <laughs> Um, but we've done a lot on um, parenting, a lot on marriage. You've I mean, I, now, oh my you? gosh, yeah, we're into parenting right now. But man, I have learned some stuff, and uh, and that's one thing that they speak to wives is how fragile your husband's ego is, and how he needs to hear and to know that you support him, um, that your words are are venom. I mean, you you can you can speak life, no or you can speak absolute death into your marriage by what comes out of your mouth, um, and that's one of the things is is to speak words of respect. Uh, to your husband. It's and a funny, that, that uh, gap there, the gap of not having been told that you're a man and you're constantly striving to prove it, constantly trying to prove it, and then to hear the negative side of that from your spouse or from, right. from, from another adult um, just kicks you in the teeth. You, you, you want to try. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm doing my best, doing my best. And you, especially young men today, uh, we have put them adrift as a society. We've put uh, young men adrift because we've abandoned the wholesome view of manhood, um, and we, we call it ta toxic masculinity. We've, we've tagged some negative uh, images onto what it means to be a man. And some are warranted. I'm not going to say that some, there aren't some aspects of manhood that are, uh, have been detrimental. Oh, and no, it's, no not, uh, it's not a competition because I'm a, I want to be a good man doesn't make you less of a woman, doesn't make you a, an unimportant person. 
uh, it makes it more important for me to affirm that in you as, as a woman, that, that you're an important uh, creation of God and you have an intrinsic value just like manhood does, but a completely different purpose, calling, definition, um, and, and uh, commission. You have a whole, whole different commission than, than a lady would have, but uh, th that gap there between not having been told and then hearing the opposite from <coughs> someone of significant, significance in your life can create a lot of discouragement and a lot of uh, destructive thought processes in a young man's life. So um, I had heard about a book a few months ago, and I don't know that it was written by a, a Christian at all, um, but it's called The Boy Crisis. Have any of you heard of this book? I've um, heard the title. Haven't read it. So I haven't read it. I've kind of read, like, the cliff notes, if you will. Um, and what's interesting is my, I have twin boys that are 14, and they came home, and they were talking about their high school schedules and what you could take, and they were telling, well, you can do this, and you can do that. And they go, and they have, like, a woods working class. Um, but mainly only the girls were interested in that. And I was like, well, let me stop you right there. This is what's wrong with, the, you know, the only people taking the woodworking classes, the girls, which I'm not saying girls can't take woodworking classes. It just perturbed me to no end that my were son. Were they in home ec? Were all the boys yeah, in home exactly. Ec? You know, and I was like, listen here. And so then I went completely on this tangent about the book, The Boy Crisis. And I just told them what the book was about and just, I mean, I'm not saying this is you boys, but let me just say this is America. And essentially what the book is about, and it sounds like your book is older. This book is newer. It, it is. Okay, so uh, decades have passed, and we've n not gained a lot of ground, no. if you will. No, you're right. And um, the boy crisis is essentially about that um, boys um, are struggling, and what can we do about it? Um, it's a crisis of education that there are more Female, Far not, more. there are four females Far in college, more. there's more female uh, valedictorians, and I'm a female, so I'm okay saying this uh, right now, and I'm not saying it's wrong or it's right, I'm just saying it is, that the women are achieving, and in households, women are earning more than men, um, they're have, boys are having a crisis of mental health, uh, their suicide rates are higher than they've ever been, um, a crisis of sexuality, um, that they're getting these mixed messages about what it means to be a man and what you do and how you look and how you act and uh, how you treat women. Uh, it's an absolute sexual crisis. I, we don't need, I mean, and then we don't need to dive much farther into that. Um, but it's a crisis of fathering, how the fathers are less involved, how they... Um, or not at all. Not even there. Right. And how uh, kids that have uninvolved fathers, boys specifically, I should say, um, are more likely to drop out of school, to do abuse drugs, uh, you name it. Um, a crisis of purpose, like what am I supposed to do? They're adrift. Right. And, um, and, I, and I can see it, even just watching the kids that I've watched grow up with my boys, how the girls are just achieving. I mean, they're just taking, which Focused. if you go back to the Garden of Eden, it all goes back to the Garden. Eve was acting independently of her husband, and yeah. she was totally fine with that. I have those tendencies myself. I've, I've had the, you know, I'm going to go to college, I'm going to get a career. I don't need a man. I can take care of myself. <laughs> and, I mean, that's not that's saying not that's wrong. That's not right. But, I mean, not, not I'm not, wrong. I mean, it's. it's Biblically, that's not why you get married. Right. It's because you need a man. No. Biblically, you get married because God created a man for you. Right. Not because you needed a man, because he loves you. 
He's giving you a gift. And again, and the same is true, you know, reverse. And don't hear it. I'm not saying I'm not saying it's not OK for girls to go to college and sure. to achieve and to have great careers. I am not saying that by any stretch. I, I hope my daughter does that. But what I'm saying is the boys are doing nothing at all. Uh, and they don't they're they're just kind of floating through and they're not really finding their place in the world. Um, and how can Satan best attack mm -hmm. and destroy is to attack who is supposed to be the head of the household. Completely dysfunction as a family. Without the, the man fulfilling his role in the family, the family is one, has one more strike against it. Um, and we have such a crisis now for d defining families as it is. Um, for, for young men to find, again, God's calling uh, and what he designed them for, I think would be would accompany or would drive a revival in the United States. Um, would either come with the revival or would drive the revival. Uh, for young men to, for their hearts to be turned again to their fathers and learn manhood um, and step into the role of manhood, uh, God's wholesome design of manhood, I think, would be a revival in this country, maybe worldwide. So Amen. For people listening today that have boys um, or have daughters that are going to marry a boy someday, no I mean, <laughs> no doubt. I look around, uh, Gavin, when your daughter got married and it was probably one of the most fantastic things I've ever heard a father say at a wedding, which was we were surveying the guys, kind of look, got a spreadsheet, and, <laughs> and your, how did you say it? Your son-in-law got I'm, moved to... Uh, so, so yes, <laughs> uh, I, I had uh, charts and graphs on all the, the young men on my radar, and uh, I teased Ryan. He was like, uh, you know, a, a, a through Z, 1 through 37, he was like C37 uh, <laughs> to start with, where, where he arrived on the charts, but he... He was A1 from the start. Uh, he's a stellar guy. I'm panicking now, and I'm probably not okay to say this, but Megan has a boyfriend, <gasps> and I have no data points on him. I'm freaking out. So I, I've got he, no he's information. He's the Sasquatch. Yeah, yeah. He's, so, so he's from Arkansas. We, we've got as much experience on this guy as we do Sasquatch. And he's a parent. I'm not going to say anything else. I'm going to get in trouble if I you say You are. I'm going to stop her right there. Listen, trouble. I know enough to know I can't that wait I need my to phones cut this off. I'm going to text her I told her Sunday, I said, right I'm freaking out about this guy. I, I know nothing about him. I, I just know where he's at on a map. Uh, and the things I know about him I'm uncomfortable about. So, so uh, he, he's can from he Illinois. Can he start a chainsaw? So I, oh. I mean, can he start a chainsaw oh. on his own? I mean, Does that's he like have a, any property? That's what I want to know. Apparently so. Is yes. it southern yes. or northern Illinois? <laughs> he's right on the line. Oh, I know, I he's know right on the line. I know By where all the nightclubs uh, are. Any, so if anybody has any good private investigators, would you please submit their name and number? Oh, no, 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 man. no. If Megan, if you hear this, I am not getting a private investigator. Yet. FYI. <laughs> well, we really went off the mark there, but uh, you know when I the say, whole point is when when you have a kid, yeah. you've got other kids on your radar. Right. So I mean, I have a daughter too, and I'm thinking already like, oh, are there is there even going to be one good man out there for her to marry someday? <laughs> like what? Right. L let me share this real quick. I, I've uh, Tony is taking up track and cross country. We have no idea why, <laughs> but. <laughs> He, he loves it. He, he's doing it. Let's do it. Yeah. A roar of laughter from the crowd. That's right. I have <laughs> no idea Tony. why. Because uh, Dawn and I, uh, we loathe exercise. We, we <laughs> loathe running. Makes no sense. Hurts and all that. But but the boy does it. And he, he does it much better than me or mom could do. Uh, he ran a 7-11 mile yesterday, something like that. So, well, you know, okay. But here's the deal. The coaches, and they, I'm, I'm, I support them 
the coaches push personal record, PR. I'm fine with that. But I hear my dad in the back of my mind screaming, it's not called a group of individuals. It's called a team. And if you're on a team, if you're not competing with other people on other teams, you're not helping your team. You see what I'm saying? And I do believe that that is a valid point. And so for me as a dad, I just keep gently saying that. I started in seventh grade. Well, Dad, it's not about, it's not about beating other people. It's about my personal record. No, son. <laughs> or they would call it a group of individuals. <laughs> it's a team. And so I just keep gently. And I'm even telling the coaches now. You know, this, this is what I'm telling Tony. I'm telling him this. Well, yeah, but, you know, I, I, I get it. I'm good. You, you teach what you teach. You keep it up, but I'm going to teach what I teach. Because sooner or later, if you want your team to succeed, the people on your team need to beat other people. Beat the other team. <laughs> they, yeah. they need to beat the other team. Right. That's a life principle. It is, and it's not wrong. No, I'm not into this. If you're the you know, second, you're the first loser. I'm not into that. But I do believe if you're going to compete, <laughs> if you're going to compete, you need to give everything you got. And so for me, that's my parenting and that's my fathering and teaching, quote, unquote, toxic manhood, uh, because I believe it's good. You, if you are married to a man that is a salesperson, you want him to succeed. And to succeed, he's got to beat out the other salespersons. He just has to type thing. And so it's just important. If his personal record is three sales a year and he gets four and all the competition are in the hundreds, personal record doesn't help. That's right. It, it's, that's poverty line. <laughs> Amen. All right. Just saying. I thought you were going somewhere else with that. I thought you were going to say, like, we're a team as a group of a church of individuals that are trying to support these boys. I thought you were going to give us Oh, that, that applies, too. But, no, that wasn't where I was going. I'm, I'm just I lost you totally in that analogy, other than that the Kingstons don't like to run. No, we do not like to run. We think it's of the devil. But, but, <laughs> kidding, kidding. I, I ran seven minutes in a row about four weeks ago. <laughs> and I've, I've been doing other work since then. But, uh, yeah, I mean, we're, we're trying. We are trying. We're doing the gym thing uh, on occasion. So This has nothing to do with anything, but we've gotten so far off track. I oh, don't yeah. know that we'll yeah. find our way That's back. Uh, but I did a 5K. It was like a charity thing on Saturday. And, uh, and maybe the guy had been at the bar a little too long. It was about 9... 15 in the morning so maybe he'd been there all night I don't know but we were running past a bar area and this guy said you're supposed to turn this way girls and so me and there was just me and another girl like the pack was small and so we turned right when we should have gone straight anyway it ended was up was he waiting on you when you got <laughs> no <laughs> <laughs> they do that in Chicago too and I went, you know I kind of I looked at my clock and I'm like running for 24 minutes and I don't know Union that well but I know enough to know I am nowhere near the finish <laughs> <laughs> so we ended up running and like a 7k <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we got back and uh, anyway that, that's yeah, awesome. I still got a medal and I was oh, like yeah. hey despite the detour <laughs> I <laughs> that was funny Nothing to do with it. Was it a participation yeah, we, medal? Probably. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't wait around. To, wait till we find I needed to go to Walgreens. I didn't wait there for the go. ceremony. There you go. Um, so to wrap up the modern day night, what would you say as a church, as a community that we can do um, to raise up modern day nights in this church and in our family? Amen. 
Amen. What well, do you think? so, I mean, it's pretty simple put. Uh, do your best with your own child. Do your best with your own grandkids, uh, nephews, and, and the such. So support the people that are within your community, if you will. And then certainly, uh, you know, I have taken a young man uh, deer hunting. Gavin assisted me uh, with that this year. And th that is part of my effort. I, I love youth season because it, you talk about zeroing in, uh, you know, just, just absolutely targeting one individual for a day uh, to, to, to disciple. You know, when Brent and I are in the stand, we talk about godly things. I ask him how he's doing in his walk with the Lord and such of that nature. It's all good stuff. And, and I'm going to be uh, taking a young man turkey hunting in youth season, and next year I'll be taking another young man for deer season. It's important. And so, you know, wh whatever your hobby is, maybe you kayak. Well, take a young man kayaking if you're a man. If you're not, uh, you know, encourage your men to help these men. It's just so important. What if you're a mom in the crowd and you maybe have a husband that's passive, um, that doesn't really get get into the, the heart of parenting, or maybe you don't have a husband at all, or maybe, you know, there's lots of different circumstances. Right. Are there men in this church that you could direct them to? Like, this is somebody that would love to take your well, son on a, a fishing trip yeah, or a camping so, trip with the rest of the church, or is there... So come to me. Come to me and, and, and talk, because I'd, I'd hate to put that name out on the World Wide Web. <laughs> but come to me, and, and, and we'll talk. Uh, but I, I would say, first of all, if they have a quote-unquote passive husband, pray, pray, pray. Ask for the opportunity to talk about this subject. Get him the book. Get him yeah. the book. Try to get him involved. Try to work through your, your husband first. Yeah, no doubt. And then uh, for moms who don't have a husband, I... I I'm going to make a plea to the men of the church. Make yourself available, right. um, especially if you have a young man that's interested in what you do. Uh, that's the opportunity to mm -hmm. take them under your wing. Sounds like the horde is coming. Yeah, that, that sounded <laughs> ominous. Uh, we did not get to our th third topic, which is uh, we'll save it for next week, and it is setting yourself free from the approval race. And who does not need to hear about that? I'll put myself at the top of the list of people that want to be here next week so, to hear that one. And, of course, you guys can handle that without me, but I won't be here next Wednesday because I'll be in revival at Jonesboro. Got it. We'll be praying for you. Amen.